as a five-year-old little boy, little Roger, enjoyed going out, I don't have one, sorry, I enjoyed going out and playing like most little boys. Uh, I remember one Sunday, we'd gotten home from church and I wanted to go right down and see if the neighbor boy could come and play. And so my sister walked with me down to knock on the door and nobody answered. So I was kind of disappointed. He wasn't there. So we're walking back, and I remember hearing a noise behind me. And about that time, I turned around, and something hit me. I remember falling to the ground, and I realized that it was my friend on his bike. He had run me over. (laughs) Well, as a little boy, I did what five-year-old little boys do, and I started crying. And so my sister got me home and and told my mom what had happened. And I was kind of in disbelief that my friend had run me over with his bike. So, you know, I was still in my church clothes at that point. So kind of a scraped up knee with, you know, kind of a a hole in my church pants. And, And so my mom took me down to the neighbor's house and she asked for him to apologize to me. But an apology wasn't what little Roger wanted. Little Roger wanted vengeance. (laughs) Little Roger wanted to get on his bike and run over his friend. But that wasn't what happened. Well, we've been talking through the book of Jonah. And as we pick up the end of the story in chapter 4, Jonah's feeling like he's been run over by God. Jonah's feeling like God did not do what he wanted to have happen to the Ninevites. Jonah is angry at God because he's realized that God is relenting from the fact that he has said he was going to destroy Nineveh. Because the Ninevites responded, they repented, they says they believed God. Jonah wanted God to respond in this way, Psalm eleven six. Let him raid coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Jonah wanted Nineveh to experience God's fury. But that was not what the Ninevites experienced. Instead, the people of Nineveh experienced God's grace. God's mercy. And Jonah finds himself confronted by this situation. We're going to learn this morning that God has every right to show mercy to sinners. And we should follow his example. God has every right to show mercy to sinners, and we need to follow his example. So let's pick up our text, Jonah chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 11. I encourage you to open your Bible and turn to Jonah chapter 4. It starts saying this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed for the second time now. He's only prayed one other time. He was in the large fish before, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste 
to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, remember we've looked at this verse, for I knew that you are gracious, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's from Exodus 34 when God revealed himself to Moses. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But, verse 9, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Warren Wearsby summarizes the book, and so to kind of give you a brief summary, this is what he says. Jonah had one more lesson to learn, perhaps the most important one of all. In chapter 1, he learned the lesson of God's providence and patience, that you can't run away from God. In chapter 2, he learned the lesson of God's pardon, that God forgives those who call upon him. In chapter 3, he learned the lesson of God's power as he saw a whole city humble itself before the Lord. Now he had to learn the lesson of God's pity, that God has compassion for lost sinners like the Ninevites, and his servants must also have compassion. There are questions that seem to hang in the balance at the end of the book of Jonah. We jump from Jonah chapter 3 where it says God relented from his disaster into chapter 4, kind of refocusing. The focus in chapter 3 has been moved to the Ninevites and their response. And then when chapter 4, we kind of remove the focus onto Jonah. And so there's these questions that have gone by that are not answered by the text. How much time has gone by? between the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, when did they realize that God was going to relent of his disaster? Had it taken 40 days? At what point did they realize God's not going to destroy the city? How did the Ninevites receive the message that God was relenting from disaster? Did Jonah have to go in and tell them? We're not told that. But this pouting, reluctant prophet, did God send him in to say, I'm not going to destroy the city now? What is the reaction of the people? 
Because the last thing we hear of the people of Ninevites is their questioning. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Hooray! Was there a celebration? Because they realized that God was not going to do what he said he was going to do. Because they responded in repentance. Other than what we learned here, what's Jonah been up to? What's he been doing? Because he's been in the city this time. There's a period of time we're not given it, but he's been doing something. Has he just been stewing in his anger? Has he been just praying fervently, God, destroy this city? I know they're repenting, but think of all the evil they have done. They deserve it. What's been... Jonah's response. Well, Jonah has a couple barriers in showing the people of Nineveh God's mercy. The first barrier is Jonah's heart is rebellious. The whole series, we've been talking about a rebellious heart, and it really comes to, into play, into view in chapter 4. Jonah's heart is rebellious. Jonah's knowledge, he has knowledge about God. Verse 2, we've talked about this verse almost every week. He has this knowledge of who God's, God is, but it, the knowledge in his mind has not penetrated his heart. It has not taken the eight-inch trip from his mind to his heart. It says it displeased, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. In the Hebrew text, and he was angry with great anger. There's emphasis there. Jonah was furious. He was steaming mad. He was displeased that God did not do what he said he would do because the people responded in repentance. Jonah was a prophet. He knew the law. He knew the writings. He had the knowledge of God, but it was empty knowledge. Warren Wiersbe comments later in his commentary, but the Lord doesn't look on the outward things. He looks at the heart. Remember the story of David when Samuel went to anoint David. He's told that God looks at the heart and weighs the motives. That's why chapter 4 was included in the book, for it reveals the thoughts and intents of Jonah's heart and exposes his sins. Later he says, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. And that's where Jonah's problems were to be found. Jonah's problem was in his heart. In Jonah chapter 1, at the end, we find him in a similar location. At the end of chapter 1, he says, guys, throw me overboard. Expecting that that would lead to his end. Expecting that this is my final way I can try to get away from God. Throw me overboard. The seas will kill me. The waves will envelop me. But that was not God's plan. 
So he finds himself realizing that even by trying to have others take his life, it's not going to work. His life is in God's hands. God is sovereign. And so in chapter 4, we get to this point where he's like, God, you kill me. God, you take me out. So another author, J.A. Matier, says, he seeks the ultimate escape from things which are too difficult for him. The repeated use of I, my, and me in those first couple of verses, as he's responding to the Lord, as he's praying his prayer, look at the I, the my, the me, it's all about me, suggests again his self-concern and resultant blindness towards Nineveh's change of heart. Think of the rest of the hearts in the story. You've got the sailors who respond. Don't let his, what we're going to do to Jonah come upon us. And they fulfill their offerings to God. You have the Ninevites whose hearts of this city change. We find out at the end of chapter 4, there's 120,000 people. This is probably the greatest revival ever. 120,000 people along with all the animals. Put themselves in a position of humility towards God. And yet there's this one prophet whose heart is just rebellious against God. And so Jonah finds himself in a place like Elijah who was fleeing Jezebel in the book of 1 Kings. And he says to God, take away my life. I can't do this anymore. Or like Moses, who's leading a rebellious people out of the nation of Egypt. And he comes to the point where he says, God, God, kill me at once because I can't do this. Jonah has come to, even though his depth was in the sea in chapter 2, he's come to his depths in chapter 4. God has pushed him to his limits. And Jonah looks back and says, oh, but if I had just died in the water, God, would you just kill me? I want to take a minute and talk about mental health. Because this is a situation where Jonah is suicidal. He's asking God, he, want, he wants to die by divinity. He's asking God to kill him. And what has Jonah done? He's taken him outside of where God is actually working. It says he goes out of the city. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Jonah is putting himself in solitude. And when you're mentally struggling, that is the worst place to be. It's where maybe you'll feel the most comfortable, but it's also where you're going to be the most vulnerable. To the lies of Satan, who comes to steal, kill, 
and destroyed. Maybe you've had thoughts like Jonah. Maybe you're in the midst of this battle for your mind, a mental battle. Let me tell you, God's word offers hope. God's word offers help. And if that's a battle that you're facing, that's not a battle you have to face alone. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you and we can walk on this journey together. Looking at God's word, the truth, opposed to the lies of Satan who comes to steal and kill and destroy. So God asked Jonah a question. What do you have to be angry about, Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? Is your anger going to do you any good? By the way, many times our selfish anger is what Satan uses in our lives. It puts us on his stomping ground. It gives him and into our life. And, and God asked, do you do well to be angry? Jonah doesn't have to tell God he's angry. God knows. God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so God knows that Jonah is angry about it. So he asks him bluntly, do you do well to be angry? But Jonah's heart is rebellious and resistant to God's love, mercy, and compassion. It's wonderful to read God's word regularly. It's wonderful to memorize God's word. I'm so thankful for Bible memory. But if all you do is know God's word, and it doesn't do anything, and it's not applied to your life, then it's not actually doing the purpose of God's word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints, of marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is about transformation. Transforming our hearts, transforming our lives, transforming our actions. And so the question, have you allowed God's word to penetrate your heart? Have you allowed God's word to affect what you do on a daily basis? So Jonah's first barrier was that his heart is rebellious. The second barrier is Jonah's perspective needs to be changed. Jonah finds himself, verse 5, it says that he exited from the east side. We know Jonah was probably coming from the west because that's, he was dumped on a shoreline somewhere over here. So he probably entered the city from the west, so it's probably natural that he exits the city on the east. 
And he goes out and he makes this booth for himself that he should sit under it and see what would become of the city. Again, we don't know. Has it been revealed that God was relenting of that or is he just waiting, hoping maybe the people will just turn back to their ways and God will just rain fire from heaven? But God chooses to use this point as a teaching moment for Jonah. For a lesson that Jonah didn't want to learn. But it says that God, the Lord God, appointed a plant. The term appointed there, we've seen this before. The Lord God appointed a large fish. It's going to be used three more times in this text. He appoints a plant, he appoints a worm, he appoints a scorching east wind. All of these are lessons for Jonah. When God chooses to appoint things, it displays God's sovereignty over creation and the fact that creation is obeying God, but the prophet of God is not obeying God. So God appoints these four lessons for Jonah. These four illustrations, God allows the plant to grow. Farmers, you've put a lot of seed in the ground so far, hopefully. I see some things popping up out there. That's good. But we've talked about how it's God that does the growth. You put the seed in, you hope the soil's right, you hope the moisture comes, you do a lot of prayer. And God gives the growth. God allows this plant to come. We don't know what kind of plant it was. But it was a big enough plant that grew over to give Jonah some shade. And God made this happen quickly. It grew over and it shaded Jonah, and Jonah appreciated it. It's hot. But just as quickly, God appoints a worm. Again, we're not given specifics of this worm. This worm comes, eats the plant, the plant falls over, the plant's dead. I'm sure Jonah probably picked up the plant, stuck it back in the ground. Then it wilted and did no good. And then God, just to make sure he got his point across, appoints a scorching east wind. Oh, could the wind be brutal over there? It blows off. You know when you're sitting by the water and you have the cool breeze coming off the water and it just feels so good? That was not what was happening here. This would be like sitting on the side of a desert and the wind comes through and it's just miserable. You've already got a pouting prophet who's sitting there fuming mad. God decides to turn up the heat just a little bit more. And he provides this scorching east wind and the sun beating down on Jonah's head. I don't know if Jonah was follically challenged like I am, but 
probably got a little sunburn up there. Also, that Jonah could learn a lesson that his perspective of God needed to shift. And there's a couple parts of God's perspective here that needed to change. First, God's sovereignty. His perspective of God's sovereignty needed to change. And he knew about God. He knew who God was. But God was teaching him that I am sovereign over all, even over you, Jonah. You can't escape my grasp. You can't flee from me. I'm in charge of the fish. I'm in charge of the land. I'm in charge of the animals. I'm in charge of the sky. I've got this all under control, Jonah. You don't need to fear what's going on with Nineveh. I have control. Sometimes don't you just wish that you could have control? But how horribly that would turn out most occasions? God says, I've got this, Jonah. I am sovereign over all. It's funny, some of the terminology... You don't always see it in the English, but God sends a worm to attack the plant. What the worm does to the plant is what Jonah wanted to have happen to the city. That term there, the attacking the plant, was to destroy or to smite. That's what Jonah wanted God to do to the city. Then Jonah experienced this scorching east wind. Didn't Jonah just want God to rain down fire from heaven on the city, just completely wipe them out like Sodom and Gomorrah? God is giving Jonah a taste, just a small snippet of what he's asking God to do on the city of Nineveh. Saying, let me show you just a little bit of my justice. I'll let you experience it in your life, Jonah, what you're asking me to do to them. So God is teaching him about his sovereignty. Secondly, he wants Jonah to learn about his compassion. J.A. Matthew said this, Jonah was more concerned about the plant which perished than about Nineveh. He was prepared to die for the comfort given him by the plant, but willing for the Ninevites to perish for lack of hearing God's word. Jonah was more concerned about his own comfort and the plant than he was about a whole city hearing the gospel message. Jonah needed to experience God, needed to experience his sovereignty, needed to experience his compassion. He didn't want to imagine that God would actually forgive the Ninevites. Because where did Jonah come from? He came from a people who also 
were rebellious to God. A people who were rebellious over and over again, read through Judges and Samuel and Kings, you'll see the people's rebellion. And it's much like the book of Judges where the people rebel. And then they cry out to God, and God sends a judge, and then the judge kind of reforms the people, and they respond better, and then the judge dies, and the people rebel again and, and cycle all over again. But many of the kings that came and ruled over were not good kings, and they did evil. Evil and evil and evil and evil. And so God was punishing the nation of Israel for their corruption and their wickedness. Jonah didn't want to believe that God would show mercy to this corrupt people and not his nation. Mottier goes on to say this, Yet enemies and others who do not fit into our scheme of understanding have a particular role to play in God's gracious economy. They may well be God's way of opening us up to a greater God than we are able to perceive from within our own bunker of belief. What does that mean? God's going to use people to help widen your view of who he is, to help give you a proper perspective of who God is. So we're finishing up the book of Jonah. Jonah ends on a question. It's interesting that the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum are the only two books in the Bible that end with questions. Nahum also is dealing with the Ninevites, but much later on. The book of Jonah here ends with a question. We feel like we want resolution. What happened to Jonah? Did Jonah ever respond? Did Jonah ever repent? We know later the Ninevites went back to their wickedness because Nahum is writing about them. Writing about their corruption, their wickedness. The evil that they are doing. But I think because we have the book of Jonah, I can speculate a little bit. I think Jonah either told this story or Jonah wrote this story. I think God worked in Jonah's heart to change him, to help him recognize his compassion. To help him recognize his mercy. I think the book was written so that others would come along and not have to walk in Jonah's shoes. Or have to swim Jonah's laps. <laughs> I think it gives us a perspective like Peter talks about in the book of 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That God is merciful and he is just waiting to show compassion to those who will respond to him, like those in Nineveh. Joanna Kimbrell said this, if we lack compassion for others, it may be that we do not understand the measure of compassion that God has shown to us.
If we do not desire forgiveness for others, perhaps we have not realized our own wretchedness and the incredible grace that God has lavished upon us when we have so horribly offended him. Jonah, the rebellious prophet who had tried to flee away from God, who's the one deserving of the punishment here? Jonah. Who is the one God is trying to teach a lesson to, showing compassion along the way, showing mercy along the way, trying to teach him in every step? See, God desires that we as Christians would show compassion as well to those who are hurting, to those who are needing. John H. Walton says this, our job is to follow not to understand the directions of God as he guides our lives and ministries. Our job is to follow. So I asked this question this morning, what barrier is God working to break down in your life? Who is God using in your life to teach you? Or what circumstances is God using in your life to teach you? Is there rebellion? Is there pride? Maybe there's a misunderstanding of who God is that he's trying to teach you about himself. Maybe it's the love and compassion. He's trying to teach you to show others. Maybe it's the fact that you need to trust him in these plans and purposes. Whatever it is, what is God trying to break down in your life? What lesson is he trying to teach you? And then we ask, what is my response? We've gone through the, the book of Jonah, four chapters. What should our response be to the book of Jonah? Am I going to follow God's will? Am I going to follow God's will? Am I going to choose to obey when God tells me to do something? Or am I going to stay away from large bodies of water? Am I going to follow God's will for my life? Jonah was pushing, running away from God, trying to escape with everything he had. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning, not wanting to obey. Secondly, am I going to show God's mercy and love to others? And the hard ones to show love and mercy to are not the ones that you already love. They're the ones maybe that have hurt you. They're the ones maybe that have caused a wound there. Am I going to show love to those who maybe you feel like they're more of an enemy Maybe you find yourself at times sitting like Jonah on the outside, just looking at these people going, God, just rain down your fire on them. Just wipe them out. Just pouting, saying, God, here I am trying to do what you want. But maybe God's saying, you need to go show them love. God proclaims to us we don't need to be angry anymore because we 
were the ones who rebelled against God. And yet God showed love and forgave us. Therefore, we are to forgive others. We are to show God's love, demonstrate his love and compassion to those who maybe have not experienced it yet. So what is your response going to be? How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Jonah. God, for those who responded well to your message. And even for Jonah, as an example for us not to walk in his shoes. But yet, how many of us find ourselves in a spot where we're sitting outside just wishing you had made a different decision? Wishing we weren't in the spot we were in. And yet you're using those pieces to transform our hearts and our lives. God, help us to respond in such a way that we listen and we follow you. God, help us to reflect your mercy, the mercy that's so graciously been shown to us, to reflect your mercy to others. God, help us to shine your light to people who maybe have not seen it. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.